The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and on this week's show, our first set of special VIP guests are Cork and Munster LGFA Junior A champions Emer McCarthy and Sarah Hurley from O'Donovan Rossa, who previewed this weekend's All-Ireland Junior Semi-Final in Skibbereen. Then we have a second set of VIP guests, Ellen Toomey and Eve McAllen from the Cork and Munster Intermediate Champions, Glenn Moyer, who faced Meads Nafina in their All-Ireland Intermediate Semi-Final in Mallow on Sunday. The Echo Live.ie's Linda Mellick previews Cork and Munster Senior Champion Sarsfield's All-Ireland Senior Camogie Semi-Final. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews an unbelievable AFLW Preliminary Finals weekend and previews this final, the big grand final between Brisbane and North Melbourne this coming weekend as well. Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley reviews last weekend's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Munster Women's Hockey's Graham Catchpole reviews all the latest EY1 and Munster Women's Hockey Munster Division 1 results and fixtures. Cork Thread FM's regular rugby expert Wendy Keenan has all the latest women's AIL, Monster Adult and Youth results, plus news of the latest Monster Minis Blitzes. That's all to come on this week's jam-packed Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. This week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast first set of VIP special guests are 2023 Cork and Munster LGFA Junior A champions O'Donovan Rosses, Emer McCarthy and Sarah Hurley, who helped preview their West Cork Club's All-Ireland Junior semi-final against Wexford's Gusseran in Skibbereen on Saturday. Now, here on Cork's Red FM's Big Red Bench, we are delighted to be joined by two members of the O'Donovan Rossa LGFA team that have reached the All-Ireland Junior A semi-finals where they will host uh, Gus Arand from Wexford next Saturday the 2nd of December with a 1.30pm throw-in in Skibbereen um, and the winners and on offer for the winners is a place in the All-Ireland Junior A final what a time it has been for this club from Skibbereen they've been on some roll since winning the Cork Junior A Championship and the Munster Junior A Championship and now find themselves one step from an All-Ireland final we're joined by Emer McCarthy Emer, how are you? Very good, thank you. Good to have you with us. And we're also joined by Sarah Hurley. Sarah, how are you? Good, thanks. Very good to have you both with us. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us. I know how hectic this coming week is because uh, this past weekend you travelled to Scotland uh, to play your quarterfinal uh, of the LGF, or the Junior A All-Ireland Championship and you beat Glasgow Gales. Emer, can I start with you? First of all, the fact that you had to go to Scotland to play your All-Ireland quarterfinal, a uh, lot of logistics involved, air, you know, airplanes, uh bookings, all those types of things that you never think of when you're playing uh, football at any grade. Um, you obviously did particularly well. It was well worked because you won two fourteen to two goals. But talk to me just about the difference that this past weekend was compared to other games and how difficult it was to focus in or was it difficult to focus in on the game? Um, I think the management had a big part to play in how focused we were for the game. Um, like all of the arrangements were done by the committee. We like the players really didn't have to, you know, besides sense picture rep pictures of our passports we didn't really have to do too much besides show up there on time um so they really like made it easier for us you know making that big trip um because like you know you wouldn't expect to be leaving Ireland to play a GA game that was not something on our radar at the start of the year for sure so um no I think credits where credits due to the um, management and the committee for you know allowing us to really focus on the game and not you know gonna outside distractions same for you, Sarah. Obviously, going over to Scotland and back, it's not an easy thing. There's a lot of young players in this panel as well, a panel of 30 players that may never have been over there. I don't know, maybe some of them weren't even on a plane at this stage, but you got the job done and that was the key thing. That was the message that was coming out pre-match. Let's go over there, let's get the job done. You must be very, very happy with how you played, particularly in the first half. Absolutely delighted, yeah. Um, 
I think like the key message was just from James was just to go out from the start and give it everything. And like in the first 10 minutes, he was just like, give it everything. And I think to be honest, it really showed like they only got one score in the first half, one score in the second half. Um, and like we obviously didn't know what to expect going over there. We They were a team outside of Ireland, obviously a lot of Irish players, but we really did not know what to expect. So the key message was just don't be complacent because like these girls have played football before and they've won Britain, they won the international. Um, so yeah, we were just focused on, really focused on the game. And for the young girls, yeah, I'd say... Um, they were just excited for the trip and like they're just super girls honestly there was I think one of the girls or two of the girls hadn't flown before so it was very exciting for them God love them on such a big plane with everybody pointing out the fact they'd never flown before I could imagine yeah. Yeah, so the excitement <laughs> Sarah uh, you're the centre back on this O'Donovan Rossa team Emer is the full back um, one of the big plus points and positives I've seen from your matches this year and covering in the Junior A Championship seeing in Munster as well is how well this defence is playing as a unit if there's no one outstanding player from goalkeeper to midfield um, you've locked a lot of teams down a lot of talented forward lines down and restricted them restricting Glasgow to two goals Granted, it's a different type of opposition. How happy were you with the defence's performance and in the Munster Championship leading into it as well? Has there been a bit of momentum with that defence? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know, uh, just I feel like we're like a proper unit. Like you can just trust the girl beside you, behind you, diagonal to you. Like it's just, it's unreal. And um, like Ali Tobin there, 16 years old, she's in cornerback, just unreal. And um, I suppose then like even... You could see there was, I think we had two girls come on that haven't like played too much in against Glasgow and like just didn't weaken the team one bit. You just felt the same, like just safe and that we, you could just trust them really. Yeah, Emer, the same kind of question for you. I remember in the Junior A County final this year at MTU, you held a really talented Donnie's team pretty much scoreless for close to 25, I think it was 20, 25, 29 minutes. Um, that helped you get over the line in the end, but that defensive structure and that solidity, that understanding, I would imagine, between that unit, the, that group of players, that was obvious in that just that half an hour performance and how important is it that you keep that going now? Yeah, I think um, we've really kind of just built on like working as a unit and making sure that there isn't any free players at a time that, you know, that can cause threats. Um, and I think, you know, game after game, you know, might have been, a little bit rocky at the start, but game after game, we've really kind of gained the momentum and gained the trust in each other. And I think that's just kind of shown in the games now. I think as well, there's a few players that kind of were like myself included, were originally forwards and we've kind of moved into the back. So we kind of have different, maybe slightly different perspectives on, you know, we know what is, we know what we don't want or what we'd like, mm. um, what we wouldn't like, sorry, um, to be defended. So um, that makes it, I know it's a, maybe a slightly different perspective and Sarah um, was, you know, <laughs> centre forward at the start of the year and has really brilliantly translated into the centre center back role. So, yeah, I think it's just a slight different perspective and I think maybe I don't know if that has something to do with it. Yeah, I think that's interesting because if you've got a forwards mentality and you move into the backs, you kind of have that idea as you've outlined there, Eamon, what the forward you're marking is probably most likely to do. So maybe there is something yeah. in that. All the forwards listening to this will be getting worried their coaches will convert <laughs> them into backs. Um, can I say to you as well, Eamon, that this weekend you play the Wexford champions, Gus Oran. Now, you I know you don't, you maybe you do or maybe you don't know much about them. At, at this stage of the season, the kind of teams that you play, much like in Munster, you wouldn't necessarily know an awful lot about them, but you do a bit of homework. But the fact that the semi-final, the All-Ireland semi-final is in Skibbereen uh, on Saturday, it's going to attract a huge crowd. It's going to be a big occasion. 
How important is it now again that the mentality of the players and the team, after all the excitement of Glasgow and all the excitement that's about to come, you stay focused on what you've got to do and that's win that semi-final and get to an All-Ireland final? Yeah, it's hugely important. I think, you know, I think we've shown in the last few games that we can keep the focus and obviously it's, you know, having it in our back garden, it's a brilliant a brilliant event for, you know, the town and the team and just everyone involved in it. Um, but I think we all know that our primary focus is to go out and try and win the game. So I think, you know, again, the management have really, you know, tried to block out the different things that are involved in it so that we can really focus on the game. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to, we know what our main aim is, so hopefully we can just get and achieve it. And Sarah, what's different this year? Because the core of the team is the same. The core of the panel is the same. That lost to Neva Vaughan last year and then went through the Junior A, winning every Junior A Championship game, beating Donnie's, going on the road to Tipperary, Clare, and then beating the Kerry Champions in Manor. What Has there been one big change from this time last year? Or are you just have you just worked harder, or can you put your finger on some of the elements that have turned turned things around for O'Donovan Rossa? I don't think there's just one thing, but I think just like we've really like grown, like our friendships have become way stronger. So like bringing that onto the pitch then is just makes everything so different. And I feel as well because we're such a young team, like the trend, like we've been transitioning from underage to adult over the past couple of years like just physicality like I found myself um physicality was a big thing and uh, transitioning into the adult age um and I feel like that's a big thing and like I feel because the younger girls they weren't with us too much last year it was kind of their first year with us but now like they've really really come into it and like and to be honest it's the camaraderie there is just unbelievable between everyone and I think honestly we just want it so badly like for each other and for the management because everyone's putting in so much effort. What would it mean, Sarah, to win an All-Ireland semi-final on your home pitch? Oh, uh, unreal. It would be absolutely unreal. <laughs> I just can't even, I don't even know what else to say. <laughs> Emer, for you as well, there's obviously going to be a lot of hype around this as you've spoken about and you've dealt with a bit of that, I suppose, but going over to Glasgow. But how much are you looking forward to running out of that pitch and the roar that's going to greet you? Yeah, I think it's something, you know, probably once in a lifetime experience to have an Ireland's an Ireland semi final in Skibreen. So I think everyone just has to feed off that and take the positives from it. Um, try to keep the nerves at bay. But yeah, I think it's just a huge, huge achievement by the team and I think we recognise, you know, how special the day is gonna be. So we just need to take it all in. Indeed you do. Well, on Saturday, as we said, in O'Donovan Rossa in Skibreen, their home ground, the All Ireland LGFA Junior A Football Championship semi final with a one thirty PM throw in O'Donovan Rossa, the Cork and Munster champions taking on um Gusseran from County Wexford uh, at a half one thrown as we said we wish you all the best here everybody here on the big red benches behind you we're fingers crossed we're looking forward to it uh, we're going to be there as well on the sideline on the day itself I uh, hope to catch up with the two of you at some stage afterwards hopefully in good spirits uh, but for now um, as we said everybody here is behind you all the best this weekend in that other and semi-final from Cork's red, big, red, big red bench Jamie McCarthy and Sarah Hardy thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us thanks James Thank you. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. This week's Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast second set of VIP special guests are the 2023 Cork and Munster Intermediate LGFA champions Ellen Toomey and Neve McAllen from Glanmire, who helped preview their club's All-Ireland Intermediate semi-final against Meads, Nafina, which takes place in Mallow 
on Sunday. Now, we are delighted to be joined here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench by two members of the Glanmire LGFA team who are taking part in this Sunday's All-Ireland Intermediate Semi-Final against Nafina from County Meath and that match is taking place in Mallow on Sunday with a 2pm throw and great excitement around Glanmire at the moment obviously with their footballers and also with Sars um, on the same path on the Camogie side of things but we are joined uh, for this conversation by Ellen Toomey. Ellen, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Jerry. Thanks. All good. And Neve McAllen, how are you? Good, Jerry. Thanks. Great to have the two of you here. We're not going to keep you too long because I know your manager is very anxious that you focus in on what's happening this Sunday. So we appreciate you taking the time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. Ellen, if I could start with you. Um, you've reached an All-Ireland semi-final, but you did so by travelling to London last weekend and getting over a very, very good Tier Connell Gales team in an All-Ireland quarter-final. How, I'm obviously delighted to get the win, but what was the experience like of the group of people travelling over, supporters, and everything that came with it? Um, yeah, I suppose, look, it's a new experience that a lot of our players on the panel, like we wouldn't have done it this year, like the purchase we would have had to travel, it was probably done more east when we were playing golf here. So um, for us to have not only an overnight stay in, in a foreign country, but also the kind of plane journey, the air force, getting ourselves right, the different kind of routine on the day and stuff like that. Um, I think it's it's really beneficial to us as a team. Um, we were kind of put out of our comfort zone uh, with our routine for the day, kind of like what we were eating, like different sleeping arrangements and stuff like that. So hopefully if we are to progress in the competition and we do have to travel, I do think that experience will really stand to us as a team. Uh, it certainly did. Two five to nine points was the final score in McGovern Park in Royslip in London. And for you, Neil McAllen, just carry on there. What what Ellen said did was the journey through Munster, having finally annexed that intermediate title, was the journey through Munster and the bonding maybe that happened with those extra games at this time of the year. How beneficial was that going in, and how how, how important was it when you see how tight that game was against your Connell Gales? Yeah, it's huge. Like it's hugely important the team bonding. Um, a couple of us would have had it five years ago, um, traveling for the junior All Ireland. Um, but for a majority of the team, it's totally new experience. Um, every match we just seem to be getting closer and closer as a group, and just the amount of sessions on and off the pitch that we've put together as a team has just really, really helped. And you can really see it on the pitch. The band the, you know, selflessness on the pitch. It's really stood to us throughout the year. And Niamh, how important have your management team been, not just to getting the tactics organised, not just with the training, but just getting people's heads right? Because when you finally win an intermediate, everybody in the county would have understood if you went off celebrating for a couple of weeks after what had gone before, with respect. But the fact that you've gained momentum, gone through Munster, won a Munster title, how much of the management team been responsible for on and off the pitch getting your heads right? management have just been outstanding like you couldn't even put it into words the way they've helped us throughout the year it's just outstanding you know we had our our celebrations obviously but they were cut quite short we were focused back in um and you know it would be easy for us to run away without the management kind of grounding us and bringing us back to reality and saying you know once you win the county anything can happen what we've seen um you know in the past through different clubs and through ourselves um if you get out of cork really 
and anything did happen big time and getting out of Cork let's just quickly talk about that Neve, because um, oh, sorry Ellen let's go back and talk about winning that intermediate title three years in a row I was on the sideline in MTU Cork watching you lose intermediate finals my heart breaking for you especially the 25 metre kicks one but all those memories are now gone because you got over Neve Vaughan and you got over a really good Neve Vaughan team who the previous 12 months had gotten to an All-Ireland Junior Final and were on a high obviously you got a huge boost. Obviously there was relief. Obviously it was a fantastic moment for Glanmire to become a senior club. But how much have you seen, uh, Ellen, it benefit the younger girls on this panel, winning that county final and gaining obvious confidence to come through your province and now reach an All-Ireland semi-final? Yeah, I know, like this experience for the younger girls is like second to none. Like there's so much you can do in training with this type of experience. You, you can't train and inspire so I think for younger girls coming along and they like kind of looking up to us, I suppose, that aren't that much older than them. Um, and we're all kind of looking out for each other and training hard and stuff like that. I think it's really, really important. Like, for example, like I hate naming people, but there was a girl, Megan Sheen, who started for us in London. And like only after group stages of our county championship, I don't think she's gotten a starting game. So like she's been driving on a training. She's kind of looking at the girls that might be starting ahead of her in her position. And there's no bitterness there, but a striving player like Megan on and like everyone still up, like starting positions are up for grabs. Like people are really driving it on. So I think the kind of winning and the experience is huge. Um, And like we're a really close-knit bunch now as it is. And we kind of like when we go out onto the pitch, we'll die for each other on the pitch as well. So like that experience is second to none and like it's really after bringing on the younger girls as you said um, who wouldn't be as experienced with these kind of long years and stuff like this so we're really grateful for it you certainly are. You're listening to Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench. I'm Jeremy McCarthy interviewing Glanmire LGFA players Ellen Toomey and Neve McCallan, the head of this weekend's All-Ireland Intermediate Semi-Final in Mallow on Sunday at 2 o'clock against Nafina from County Meath. Can I just ask you again, Ellen, um, I spoke to the Sars players on the pitch after they won their County Final, Camogie Final. I know there's quite a crossover with dual players between the two t- two panels. The joy for the SARS supporters that day, considering what's been happening in your part of the world with the unfortunate flooding, the terrible flooding in that area, the joy that it brought to the SARS supporters was very apparent that day. But Ellen, look at the joy. Have you been able to understand the joy that you brought to Glanmire? Because everybody was delighted you finally got over the line at the fourth time of asking to win the intermediate, but to win Munster and to be on the, on the cusp of potentially an all-earning final, we won't preempt anything the crowd that will follow you now to Mallow on Sunday as well this is a lovely feel good story and something for those supporters to cling on to but have you been able to understand that or uh, experience it or have you been inside a bubble with the team and not really been able to, to understand it um, I think we are kind of protective in a small little bubble at this stage I think we're kind of we're focusing and we're like training away and we're kind of just focusing on the next match at hand now we kind of have experienced it like I'm working in Glanwire and we'd always be around the place in Glanwire and no matter who we bump into they're always saying oh well done at the weekend you had a great win or when's the next game so everyone in the community whether they're involved with underage kids or older kids or like any type of connection to the team or the anything like that the whole parish seems to know about it but even outside of that like if we're just away for the weekend or we're in town and we bump into anyone on a different club in Cork, everyone seems to know about it and everyone's wishing us the best, which is such a nice thing to see from like a community of like GDA people as well from bigger area of Cork. Um, so yeah, we've kind of had small snippets of people kind of congratulating us and wishing us the best, which is lovely to see, but I think we're kind of, 
if we're going to buy into that too much, we're kind of settling on what we've achieved so far and we're trying to kick on from here now. So we're kind of trying to focus on the next game. So we are very grateful, but I don't think it has sunk in properly yet, the effect that we have had on people. But like our family, our friends, anyone from the parish, they've been a huge sport to us. Like they've really peeled us off the floor after the third county final defeat only for them. We wouldn't have been able to pick ourselves back up again and drive on this year and get over the line. So only for the sport group that we do have around us, players, management, friends, family, all sorts. They're the reason why we did get across the line in the county final and everything after that we've been able to kick on. So it's just been great. That's very well said. So basically you're rock stars, but you just don't want to admit it just yet is what you're saying to me, yeah? Uh, Niamh uh, Ellen has spoken (laughs) Ellen has spoken very eloquently there about what it means to Glanmire what all this 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 journey that you've been on you're now a senior club I don't know if if that still has sunk in but you have an All-Ireland semi-final against a club much like yourselves who are dual who play Camogie as well they're obviously a good team I don't know how much you know don't know about them but is this weekend's game are you treating it just like you've treated all the other ones like Tier Connells go and do your business get over the line Focus on yourselves and what you can do because it's going to be a big atmosphere in Mallow on Sunday. But you've got to be very careful that you focus in and doing what you need to do. Yeah, look, obviously the opposition comes into discussions going into any game. Um, but this game, it wouldn't come in any more than it has in the past. We're really just trying to focus on ourselves, focus on the way we're playing, focus on the group as a whole. One to thirty, one to thirty-five. Um, we're told every time they name a team that 115 they're representing the girls on the bench and I think we take great pride out of that to you know really drive it on for each other and you know try to just focus on ourselves and focus on friends and family as we discussed and focus on doing it for Glamire and not really trying to buy too much into the opposition. Can you enjoy it? Niamh, can you enjoy, are you enjoying all of this? Because like it's the time of year, we're coming to the end of the year. I, I, I know from speaking to other clubs who've gone deep in Munster and, and then on to all Ireland's, the pitches are heavy. You don't get to play the kind of football that you would normally play during the summer. But are you as a player, can you actually enjoy all of this? Or are you just so focused on wanting to get to an all Ireland final? Look, after the last couple of years, um, <laughs> maybe if this was four years ago, we wouldn't have said so much we were, were enjoying playing in November, possibly December. Um, but I think this time around, it's so special and means so much that, you know, you could throw us out in a bog and we'd be grateful for it. <laughs> and the same, the same question uh, for you, Alan. I mean, at this time of the year, it's not easy, even if it's in a bog, but are you able to enjoy it? Um, yeah, no, I suppose we definitely are able to enjoy it more so maybe after the final whistle, especially with the last couple of um, results that we have and they were kind of close calls. Um, but like I do think it's important sometimes you kind of can get drawn into okay we have to go again it's our next game we need to focus but you need some downtime as well or else like there's long evenings ahead like we were training in, like week in week out but if you weren't enjoying it you wouldn't be like we wouldn't be at this time of the year like still playing football competitively um, and again like going back to the group of girls like we're training we're playing with they're making it all the more enjoyable like we go down to training we all get on so well. We have a bit of a laugh, but we're still getting work done. Like we're still being very kind of professional in that sense. But we enjoy going down training, even if it is cold outside and stuff like that. But the other side of it as well is it's probably shortening the winter for us, so we can't complain there either. And it is important to kind of wind down and enjoy it. So like the win after the match, but then come Monday, start of the week, we're back training again, and our focus is on the next game. Well, I can tell you from the media point of view, you've definitely shortened our winter and covering you and your fantastic, fantastic run. Um, 
to the All-Ireland semi-final as I said All-Ireland semi-final on Sunday the All-Ireland Intermediate LGFA semi-final Glanmire taking on Nafina from County Meath in Mallow uh, with a 2pm throw-in um, having come through watched what you went through those three years uh, and then finally getting over the hurdle today to become a senior club having gone through Munster in the manner that you've done and then having gone to London and played and professionally and getting over the line to, to set up the semi-final and we hope a huge crowd not just from Glanwire but uh, from uh, all over Cork will come and support you on Sunday and get behind you and try and get you to that other and final because no club in Cork deserves it more and I mean that sincerely um, after what you've been through and what the area in Glanmire has been through we are absolutely thrilled for you we're behind you 100% here on the big red bench and we will see you on Sunday for live updates as well uh, from Mallow but for now uh, thank you very very much for taking time out of your preparations Ellen Toomey and Niamh McAllen to speak to us here on the big red bench and the very very best of luck on Sunday Thanks for having us sir Thanks William you're very good Thanks sir the Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. The Echo Live and Echoes newspapers. Linda Mellerick joined me on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide her expert opinion on the Cork Senior Camogie Champions Sarsfields reaching this year's All-Ireland semi-finals following their fantastic Munster final win over Drummond last weekend. Sars will now take on their namesakes, Sarsfields from Galway, in this Saturday's All-Ireland Senior Camogie Club semi-final in Mallow. Now, I'm delighted to be joined here on the line on the big red bench by the Echo Live.ie and the Echo Newspapers uh, expert camogie writer and columnist, and that is Linda Mellerick, to talk about Sarsfields, the Cork and now Munster Senior Camogie Champions. Linda, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Ger. Good. Uh, we are in positive mood because uh, your match report, which you can find on echolive.ie, tells the story of Sarsfield's 2-11-2-7 win over Drummond to win the Munster Senior Camogie Championship in Clanulty Rossmore last Sunday. Uh, it sounded like an epic battle. It sounded like a real tough, hard-hitting game, but a fantastic result for Sarsfields, who are now Munster and Cork Senior Champions. Yeah, it was... Um, I have to say, no, Ger, it was a it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was end-to-end stuff. Two highly committed teams, um, but... Really, really good all-round performance from Sars. Their best of the season. Um, and what a time to do it. I thought they were just excellent. Their work rate was phenomenal. Their teamwork was excellent. Always giving the ball unselfishly uh, to the unmarked player. Um, and you know, I just thought they, you know, I, I just thought they, they came of age on, on, on Sunday last. You know, now maybe I'm, you know, uh, maybe I'm going to curse them. But, you know, um they're, they're, if, if they keep playing like that, you know, they're a team with no weak links. Um, what is it about them this year? Was it winning that Cork Senior Championship and the way they did it and overcoming Shandoon? Do you think the momentum and the boost that they've gotten through the province, you know, winning a provincial title, that that's been the key thing for them this year because they really focused in on winning that game over Shandoon this year? They did, and yet the county final disappointed in some mm. ways, I thought. I didn't think it was a great game and, uh, you know, Stars didn't hit the scales in that county final of like like they hit last Sunday, and and then they played Clan Lara, which was a right tough battle, but again not you know it didn't show the signs of last Sunday, and then they played Newcastle West, and but they dug out two really tough wins there, and they came into the Munster final with, with a real pep in their step, and despite the fact that conditions have got decidedly worse over the last month. A really, really heavy muggy pitch in 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 um, in um, Clan- 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 
Canulty Rossmore, yeah, last Sunday, they, um, God, they were, it was like a summer pitch for them. They just floated across the pitch. They were, I just thought they were excellent now, I have to say, and thoroughly deserving of their victory. One word you use a lot in your match report, and you've used it quite a lot about them this year, uh, Linda, is work rate. Like, there's a lot of really talented Camogie players on that team, has been for a long time, but Sars have clearly upped the work rate this year. Yes, and what's evident is that it's from their forwards back um, in the first six or eight minutes of the of the game. They won great ball in midfield. Avi Toomey and um, Avi Toomey and Ava Fitzgerald were won great ball and sent it in. But you know, Drummond Inch couldn't get it back out. You know, Sars just walked their socks off up front, and I think those early minutes where Sars played like that filtered back through the rest of the team. And from Molly Lynch out, every single one of them. I mean, some of their excellent, some of their defending was just excellent. I mean, I thought Ellen Murphy was just outstanding. Laura Dunley as well, I thought was excellent in the corner. And then you, you know, you had Lucy Kelly, Olivia McGalley, and Kleena Lynch. You know, they're so strong all over. And then I thought Ava Fitzgerald was outstanding. When you consider that Ellen and Evie and Ava, and mm. uh, in the second half had a you know, a, a journey to London and a football game the day before, it's to their credit that they showed no signs of it. But look, when you're young, it's easy to play two games back to back on a, a Saturday and Sunday, I think. Um, but they were excellent, to be fair now. And I just thought from all over the pitch, you know, you just couldn't fault. Um, they, they threw their bodies on the line and it was just a, a super display. We talk a lot about Kate Fennessy uh, and her free-taking ability for this particular team, but how crucial, I mean, it goes without saying, but how crucial were Lucy Allen's two goals? Uh, they were crucial. And I think the first one in particular, when against their own play, you know, Drummond Inch hit 1-3, despite the fact that Sarah had done all the early running, but the response was great. But it was a great team move and a fantastic cross-ball, well spotted by Claire Mullins. Lucy had got, had got herself into an um, open space and, and a great finish. And then the second one was equally well worked, a great team effort, nice, fast-flowing, snappy passing. I think initially it probably started back with, um, I think it started with Laura Dunley, maybe three or four passes up and Lucy had it in the back of the net. And I think when that second goal went in, I kind of felt, you know, I couldn't, I, I kind of felt that it was going to take a massive SARS collapse for Drum and Inch, you know, to, to win this game. Having said that, God, they gave it everything. They pushed and pushed. And they did have, have a couple of goal chances in the second half. Um, Ellen, as I mentioned in my match report, flicked out brilliantly for 45. Um, there was another chance just in additional time. Wasn't well struck, but at the same time, it still could have trickled in. But Molly Lynch advanced off her line to clear. And then, you know, Sars had another chance at the other end, but got blocked out. So it was end-to-end stuff. And, you know, there was only four points in it in the end. It had It had come down to three. So, you know, but, you know, mm. Sars never let up. And had they let up even a little bit, Drummond Inch probably would have snuck in there. But no, Sars for the full hour. And uh, what was it? I think there was about four minutes additional time in each half. Um, for the full hour and 10, say, they just gave it everything. And they had to, I suppose, to be such a, an experienced side as Drummond Inch. But we need have not worried about the physical difference between the sides because... Um, Drummond Inch I think struggled to keep up with Sars more than the other way around you know Yes and all that means now um, Linda is that Sars are through to an All-Ireland semi-final which is fantastic in Mallow on Saturday they'll face their namesakes from Galway Sars now this is this would have been a tough challenge to put it mildly anyway 
any concerns that what the effort and, you know, the cardiovascular side of things, I know they'll be recovering all week, but what might that performance have taken out of them to overcome Drummond Inch, the full 60 minute performance that it need, it took? Um, any concerns going into this one that there might be a bit leggy? I don't because they're so young, to mm. be honest with you. Um, look, it's, it's, what is it? It's, it's, it's six day turnaround. They won't, they'll do very little this week. I don't have any concerns at all, to be honest with you. Again, you know, I, I think if it was the other way around, um, from stars of Galway, you know, I, they're an older team. Um, I have more concerns from their perspective. If they were going into it after such a tough game, after a six day turnaround, they'd be concerned. But I don't, I don't have any concerns of stars in that regard. And, you know, hopefully Mallow, now, in order the junior A hurling county final before, like hopefully Mallow will be will be you know as 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 solid as 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 you can expect, I suppose this time of the year. And um, but as I said last week, stars just you know flitted over the over the mud. So let's hope they do the same this week. But uh, I'm I'm not worried in that regard, to be honest with you. Um, if anything, I suppose look you. When it works for you, you say it's great. When it doesn't work for you, you say you know there was too much, there was too many games in a short period of time. Um, but but stars are on a roll now, and in the last month they've had three tough games. They've won it in style. They must be on a high. They're a young team, so as I said, I wouldn't be too worried about tiredness. On the other hand, because stars feels of Galway don't have any Connacht competition, they haven't played since their county final of the twenty second of October or something. Mm. So, you know, as as I said, look, you win and you think the momentum suited you and you lose and you say it was too much. So who knows? Exactly. Who knows? Well, we will know late on Saturday evening because following the All-Ireland Senior Camogie semi-final between Sarsfields from Cork, the Cork and Munster champions against the Galway namesake Sarsfields takes place in Mallow. That All-Ireland semi-final promises to be an epic. We're looking forward to it and everybody here on the Big Red Bench wishes Sarsfields all the best in that. And next week we'll catch up with Linda once again to find out what she thought about that particular semi-final. But for now, Linda Mellerick of the Echo Live.ie and the Echo Newspaper, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks, Joe. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and his expert coaching opinion on what was an absolutely cracking weekend of AFLW preliminary finals action. Mike runs the rule over every individual Irish player's performance and analyses the Brisbane Lions epic preliminary finals win over the Geelong Cats plus the North Melbourne Kangaroos even more thrilling preliminary finals defeat of the Adelaide Crows. Mike also previews this Sunday's 2023 AFLW Grand Final between Brisbane and the North Melbourne Kangaroos, which will involve five Irish players, as well as paying tribute to AFLW Ireland Player of the Year, Neve Kelly from the Adelaide Crows, who was named as an All-Australian this past week. OK, so we have finally finally reached the 2023 AFLW Women's Grand Final, which takes place on Sunday, December the 3rd. And that's because this past weekend we had two absolute rippers, I hope I'm using that term properly to all the Aussies listening, of preliminary finals between Brisbane Lions, Geelong Cats and the North Melbourne Kangaroos and the Adelaide Crows. So there's only one person on the planet that we need to talk to whose expertise will take us through why these two games unfolded the way they did and also give us a big preview of the Grand Final to come. And that is a regular AFLW contributor, AFLW Ireland and coach to the stars, Mike Curran. Mike, you're very welcome back to the bench. Thanks, sir. I know we say it every, every episode, but what a weekend of AFLW again. 
Yeah, we're going to do a review of the season and what it has been an unbelievable season. Um, and we'll do that definitely, but you're dead right. But before we start and get into it about two fantastic preliminary finals and two, uh, an outstanding grand final ahead of us with a huge amount of Irish interest, we have to open with the news, uh, that Neave Kelly has been named to the AFLW All Australian Team of the Year. Now, I'm just going to read a brief paragraph from the RT.ie website that has stated the former Mayo Gaelic footballer has been named to the AFLW All Australian Team of the Year after a brilliant campaign with the Adelaide. Crows. Kelly, who'd five seasons down under, moved to Adelaide from West Coast back in June 2022. She's had surgery on a dislocated injury at the start of this year, but boy, has she bounced back into pre-season flying form throughout the year and has not looked back. She is also the AFLW Ireland Player of the Year, so you preempted all of this, Mike, but first of all, how happy are you for Neve that she's made the All-Australian team and explain to us why she's there. Oh, incredible achievement. You know, I'm so delighted for Neve because, as you say, this is her fifth season. Uh, she's played brilliantly across all the years, had a really tough year last year after she moved to Adelaide initially. You know, um, dislocated her shoulder, horrific injury. That, that pitcher still floats around every now and again. Bounced back from that. Um, she has made the, the All-Australian squad, as we mentioned last week. She was named as an All-Australian player at the W Awards, um, which is fantastic. There was a, initially an extended squad of 44. She's been named on the final team, uh, becoming only the second Irish player ever to be named as an AFLW All-Australian after Ola O'Dwyer in 2022. So a phenomenal achievement and, you know, absolutely thoroughly deserved. You know, I would say Neve has had arguably the best ever individual performance or season by an Irish player since AFLW began and that's saying something and, and she has really been exceptional from round one all the way through round 10 up to the preliminary final uh, the only disappointing factor for Neve now is that her season will be over which we'll be touching on in a minute but absolutely well deserved uh, and she's getting better and better and, and really flying it at Adelaide and now a key player for them and uh, you know huge congratulations to her and more success going forward Absolutely echo all those sentiments. You have spoken highly of Neve Kelly all season and her consistency. That's why she's the AFLW Ireland Player of the Year and was announced at the end of the regular season, carrying that form all the way through the year. Congratulations, Neve, part of the All-Australian Team of the Year uh, and a fantastic achievement, as you said, and high praise indeed from yourself, considering all the great Irish players that have played this game to be um, probably one of the best seasons ever by an Irish player. Really something else. Well done, Neve Kelly. But we need to move on to talk about the... F- two preliminary finals this past weekend beginning on Saturday November the 25th the Brisbane Lions defeated the Geelong Cats 38-34 at the Brighton Homes Arena in front of just under 5,000 people the Lions are now into their fifth grand final and deservedly so bought a narrow four-point win over the Cats in what was an epic clash from start to finish. Saw the Lions eventually win out. The Brisbane Lions-Irish will be marching on to the grand final are Orla O'Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn. But the Geelong Cats-Irish uh, player season, who's over, are Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy. Mike, this was a cracker, an absolute cracker. But the Lions' experience, was that the thing that got them over the line in the end? It probably was. You know, it, it certainly was an epic game from start to finish. Uh, maybe the Lions' experience, you know, this is the first time... Geelong had ever played in a preliminary final, but it was an ex- excellent game from start to finish. You know, Brisbane probably got off to a slightly better start. They kicked two goals to none in the opening quarter. And further to that, they led for most of the game from there. But then they actually fell behind early in the final quarter after a Cats goal to none other than their Irish star, Ashley Maloney. And just before that, then at a key point in the game, they lost their star forward, Dakota Davison, to a knee injury. So she had to go off the ground at a critical time. As a result of that, head coach Craig Sarsovich threw one of his key defenders 
Shannon Campbell up front and of course she would go on to kick a decisive goal to edge the lines back in front with just five minutes to go and it was a helter-skelter for those last few minutes, you know, Geelong battled all the way and remained a threat right to the final siren, but the lines held out. Um, lines were brilliant all over the field. Their midfield was exceptional. Bell Dawes, one of their young stars with 22 disposals, but one of the standout names again is Orla O'Dwyer, absolutely immense from start to finish, playing on the wing. She had 21 disposals, 556 metres gained and a critical goal as well. So Orla was all over the place. Um, you know, the Lions were able to shut down space and apply pressure to limit the effectiveness of what has been a very good Cats midfield throughout the season. And they were also set up very well defensively across the ground throughout. So Geelong kept the pressure up all the way through. Some of their star forwards delivering two goals for Jackie Perry. We had one of their star players all season, Chloe Shear returning to play in this game after suffering a hairline fracture on her collarbone two weeks ago. So that was some achievement for her to be back on the ground at all. There were some doubts about would she be up for the physicality of it and she laid a tackle or was involved in a collision with Jennifer Dunn in the first two minutes and, and that put an answer to that. She got on the scoreboard as well and we mentioned already Ashley Maloney had a goal. But uh, Geelong were brave all the way through but it's Brisbane, as you said, through to their fifth grand final in eight seasons. Some achievement and Geelong bow out now after unquestionably its most successful season ever. Just to touch on the Irish players then, we mentioned Ordo Dwyer, probably the standout player on the night again, uh, absolutely exceptional. Also very good for Brisbane Lions was Jennifer Dunn. She matched up on Ashling Maloney, which we anticipated last week. And that was an outstanding battle from start to finish. Overall, possibly Jen Dunn getting the better there. And that was a critical factor in making sure the Lions held on to win. Across on the cat side, Maloney was great, as we've said. Rachel Cairns also played very well. She had 10 disposals, um, two tackles, and was amongst uh, named amongst the Cats' best on ground as well. And what an occasion for Anna Rose Kennedy from Tipperary, making her AFLW debut in a preliminary final. What, uh, what a time to make her start. So we saw great scenes of her getting her jumper presentation with her parents uh, back on the big screen um, at Geelong. So... Um, Great for her to to get a game, uh, albeit at the at the end of the cat season. Uh, but yeah, Irish to the fore as always. Yes, very very much so. And that's a very very good summation of it as well, Mike. Commiserations to the Geelong Cats, Irish Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney, and Anna Rose Kennedy. What a season the Cats have had, though, and I think a lot to build on for next year. But the Lions, whatever about Jennifer Dunn, and what a great footballer, what a great athlete she is. For me, this season has been Ordo Dwyer's best um, since she's gone uh, down under. And for the Brisbane Lions, you can just see the determination in her eyes and the way she plays. And Jennifer Dunn as well. They are through to the grand final. But boy, did Geelong Cats push them all the way. What a game that was. Now, if you thought that was good and if you thought that was epic, which is the word that kept cropping up for the first preliminary final on Saturday, November the 25th, well, I'm running out of adjectives to try and describe what happened the day after. Because Sunday, November the 26th, the second preliminary final between the North Melbourne Kangaroos and the Adelaide Crows at Icon Park drew a crowd of over 5,000 once again but on this occasion an absolute thriller between the Kangaroos and the Crows went the way of the Kangaroos 32-31 North Melbourne as a result have now broken through for their first ever AFLW grand final appearance clinging on in the final minutes to, to overcome Adelaide by just one point in what I think the best description I've heard or adjective is nail biting uh, for the North Melbourne Irish there is a lot of excitement because Ailish Considine Eric O'Shea and Neve Martin are heading to the grand final but there was huge disappointment for the Adelaide Crows who had bounced back so well the week before for Neve Kelly the uh, AFLW Ireland Player of the Year and an All-Australian and also Yvonne Bonner I don't know how you're going to describe this game 
uh, Mike, because it was just fantastic from start to finish and a huge, huge moment for the North Melbourne Kangaroos franchise. Oh, it was. You know, what a game. As I say, there's, there's scarcely adjectives to describe it from, from start to finish. Um, oh, I suppose all the better by the fact that North have made it through to that first grand final. They've been so close for so long. Um, we knew this was going to be the game, the way this game was going to go. You know, it was basically a flip of a coin across the last couple of weeks as to who's going to win this one. Uh, and it was close throughout. You know, the game was over and back from start to finish. Kangaroos started the better. They had two goals to one at quarter time. Crows seemed to start a, a, bit, a bit slower, but then Adelaide bounced back and they kind of dominated the second and third quarters, um, but struggled a bit to make a count on the scoreboard. They scored one goal, five behinds at half time, so that ultimately came back to, to bite them a bit later on in the game. But then we had North taking a three point lead into the last quarter. At the start of the fourth quarter, they dominated proceedings and they had four straight shots and goal, but four straight behinds. If any of those had, had gone through, uh, you'd think it would have set them up for, for the win a bit, bit earlier. Um, but look, this, they stuck to their guns. Um, the tall forwards for North, who have been the real difference, I think, between this season and last season, and it was one of the things they, they corrected after the preliminary season lost last year, was um, with Talia Randley moving to the forwards from defence and Kate Shearlaw, again, very good. The midfield, brilliant all year round. You know, Jasmine Gardner, Ashley Riddell, both named on the All-Australians this week as well. But it was one player that kind of stood out when it really mattered. That was Jenna Bruton. In the third quarter alone, when the pressure was on and Adelaide were driving forward, she had 13 disposals, four inside 50s for this quarter alone. So that nearly was the difference um, at that stage of the game. On the other side then, for the Crows, Daniel Ponter, who's been brilliant all season, got all three of the Crows' goals right up until an outstanding mark on the goal square by Anne Hatchard and a goal to follow from her. That set up an incredibly anxious last couple of minutes with just a point in it. Like there's footage of head coach Darren Crocker on the sideline. Um, they held out, I suppose, and this is one of the key differences of the North of this season and previous seasons. You know, really steely resolve from, from them. Remember they lost out at this stage last year, but more importantly, they lost out to Adelaide Crows a few weeks ago by a last-minute goal from Neve Kelly, a great goal it was. So they just weren't going to let that happen again, I think. you know. And, and they held in there, and that's the difference. They're true to their first grand final. It's absolutely huge around the club. They're really relishing it. They're enjoying the experience of the week. They had their players at the, the W Awards again a couple of nights ago where previously teams wouldn't have attended if they were in the grand final or would have been in private rooms and stuff so they're just embracing it all and and it's what they've been striving for for a lot of seasons so it's fantastic to see them there and of course Adelaide now go out in the preliminary final for the for the second year in a row in terms of the Irish you, you nailed it there as well possibly the better Irish on the day were the Irish Crows and uh, Neve Kelly was exceptional um 22 disposals for her, nine marks. You know, she was catching the ball all over the place. Three tackles. Yvonne Bonner, again, you know, the definition of toughness. Uh, she had five marks, including one crunching mark, which we've highlighted on, on social media. Tough as nails. And then on the um, kangaroo side, we had Eric O'Shea and Neve Martin. And, of course, in the build-up to this game as well, Neve Martin's parents flew over, Mick and Anne, from Tipperary. Uh, an amazing shock for Neve and a big surprise and fantastic to see them at the game as well. And I know uh, Mick, Ryan, or Mick Martin was saying that he had flights booked home for Saturday, but they'll definitely be changing those now and hanging on for the grand final. But yeah, epic, epic preliminary final. 
it's tough that a team has to lose at all, but uh, to lose by a point. But that won't matter. North are into the, the grand final and that's where they want to be. They certainly do. Uh, as you said, I think you couldn't have described it better there. Nail-biting, epic, whatever adjective you want to use. Adelaide Crows died with their boots on, though. Fantastic, uh, or disappointing, uh, disappointing for them, as you said, to lose out for the second year in a row in the preliminary final stage. But Niamh Kelly and Yvon Bonner have been excellent for them this year, and they will be again next year, and they will be amongst the mix. The mix. But for North Melbourne, for uh, for the Kangaroos, for Eilish Constantine, for Niamh Martin, but especially from, from a Cork point of view, uh, for Eric O'Shea to be contesting a grand final is fantastic news. Um, it takes place, the 2023, AFL Women's uh, W Women's Grand Final on Sunday, December the 3rd. North Melbourne Kangaroos taking on the Brisbane Lions at Icon Park. Brisbane Lions, as we've already mentioned, their Irish Orlads were and Jennifer Dunn and the Kangaroos Irish Ailey's Constantine, Eric O'Shea and Niamh Martin will be coming face to face. So simple question, uh, Mike, no problem, no pressure here. How, <laughs> is, how is this one going to go and where is it going to be won? Oh, well, look at it. And, and, and this is the question, you know, um, you've, you've the two complete opposite ends of the spectrum here. Uh, firstly, the game's on at 2.30 on Sunday. It's sold out in a matter of two hours at Icon mm. Park. That's not a surprise. It's the first time the grand final has been back in Melbourne in, in a number of years. So uh, even outside the interest of the, the clubs involved, there'll be huge interest from uh, the football community and the Irish community in Melbourne uh, in general. But you've got this scenario where you have Brisbane Lions in their fifth final Fantastic record, but they've only won one. So they're not going to be happy with that. And they're, and they're going to want to get another one on the board. And especially after losing last year's grand final to Melbourne Demons up in Brisbane. North Melbourne Kangaroos, this is their first ever final, you know. And it's against a top team. And we've mentioned it a few times across the season that the stats against the top teams for Melbourne weighed heavily against them. If, if you go back even uh, to the, before the finals, I think up to the, the end of the home and away season, North Melbourne had only won two games out of 13 against the top three teams being Brisbane, Adelaide and Melbourne. North Melbourne lost to Brisbane, Adelaide and Melbourne in the home race season this year. But in their last two games, the qualifying final, they dominated and substantially defeated Melbourne Demons. Uh, in the preliminary final, they have now defeated Adelaide Crows. So the only other top team that's left for them to topple is Brisbane Lions. So there's a certain element that this looks like it could be written in the stars a bit for uh, North Melbourne, but unfortunately, grand finals don't go that way. So it's definitely going to be intriguing, you know. And as I say, um, some of the key things here for Brisbane Lions is Dakota Davison, who got injured in the preliminary final on her knee. There was scares there for a while, but it, it's been confirmed that it's not a serious injury. So there's a, there's a strong chance that she will play in the grand final and she will be training um, later in the week after a couple of days rest. That'll be a, a critical one for them. Another one... Um, no doubt Jen Dunn will get a key defender role against one of North Melbourne's dominant tall forwards, the likes of Charlie Randall or Kate Shearlaw. Uh, that will be intriguing as well. She has been exceptional in that role in her first season and, and only with a few games under her belt. So she could have a key role in it as well. But it's it could go either way here, you know, and it's fantastic to see the Irish involvement in it. Um, we'll have Eric O'Shea and Eve Martin Eilish Constein has unfortunately been injured for the last three, four weeks with a reoccurrence of a hamstring injury. So I'm not sure how she's tracking towards next week. We'll get a bit more information on that across the next couple of days. It was great to see her out on the pitch celebrating with the other kangaroos after the preliminary final win. And no doubt, Orlo Dwyer will be lined up beside Jennifer Dunn for um, Brisbane Lions as well. So look, at it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's going to be 3.30 in the morning here. I'll be getting up. I'm sure a lot of people will be getting up to watch this I one. I plan to. And... 
the best thing, I suppose, from an Irish point of view, heading into this game is no matter what the result, there's going to be more AFLW Premiership medals coming back to Ireland. And that's a substantial achievement and, and a brilliant position to be in. It's just a, a case of who will it be? Will it be some, some girls picking up their first medals like Jennifer Dunn in her first season? Or will we see Eric, Eric O'Shea pick up a medal in her second season? Neve Martin in her first Will Eilish Constantine feature, you know, the only player to have won multiple premierships up to this point? The whole thing is absolutely fascinating and uh, I literally can't wait for it to be the weekend already. Yep, I think you've set it up very, very nicely. What a final in prospect, as you said, very early, early hours of the morning here on this side of the world, but 2.30pm in Australia um, on Sunday the 3rd of December. The North Melbourne Kangaroos with uh, Eilish Considine, Eric O'Shea and Niamh Martin on their roster, taking on the Brisbane Lions with Orlo Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn on their panel at Icon Park for the 2023 AFLW Grand Final. It promises to be, if it's anything like the two preliminary finals, we are in for an absolute belter. We will look forward to it. We wish all the players involved, all the best Irish players involved specifically, all the best in that. And next week here on the Big Red Bench, once again, we'll be talking to Mike Coran to uh, break it all down uh, and see and review uh, how the 2023 grand final went down. But for now, as ever, uh, Mike Coran, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks so much, Chair. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Cork's Red FM's Formula One expert and Big Red Bench presenter Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis and expert opinion on this past weekend's season-ending Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Sarah spoke to me about world champion Max Verstappen finishing with a flourish. Uh, Charles declares mathematics not quite clinching second place in the Constructors' Championship for Ferrari. And Yuki Tsunoda finishing his season strongly to take the upper hand in his track battle with Daniel Ricciardo, plus much, much more. Now, the 2023 Formula 1 Grand Prix season is in the books following last weekend's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It is all over. There is no more shouting. Max Verstappen is the world champion. Red Bull are the official uh, Constructors' Champions. No big deal or no big uh, surprises coming out of Abu Dhabi. Or were there? Were there a few worthy news items certainly so only one person to turn to and that's our resident Red FM Formula 1 expert and Big Red Bench presenter Sarah McKenzie-Poli who joins me here. Sarah how are you? I'm good thanks yeah I'm uh, still kind can't quite, quite believe that the season is over but mm. also wondering how did it go so quickly. Yes <laughs> here, we are. here we are like I remember we did the big preview we were we were Mm-hmm. In the weeks leading into it, we couldn't wait for what was going to happen. Would there be anyone to challenge for Max? Would there be anybody to challenge Red Bull? In the end, there wasn't, not even his teammate. Um, and I suppose the big thing, as you, you've, you've pointed out, is that he's finished with, a, finished with a flourish in Abu Dhabi and is every inch the deserving champion that we thought he would be. Yeah, in fairness, you know, it's a record-breaking season for him in multiple ways. At this point, he's broken several records along the way. And there was really only one issue, one major issue, you would say, which was Singapore. And that clearly wasn't down to just him because the same issues were experienced on the other side of the garage. So, you know, it was kind of funny across the weekend because early signs were not really promising actually during practice, but it seemed... It was almost like they were sandbagging or something like that because, you know, they started in qualifying and all of a sudden he was at the top of the timing tables again. So that was that was a bit surprising. And I think at the end of the day, he's come out on top. Very, very dominant. We got one non-Red Bull win this year. Uh, so I think all we can do is hope that we get more than one next year. Oh, my God. I hope so. I really I hope so. I know. 
And look, you can look at it two ways. Yes, as a as a Formula One fans, uh, like we both are, you know, you want to see a, a battle, a, a battle for the title right up until you know the final race. I saw it with Senna and Prost. I saw it with mm. Schumacher and Villeneuve. I saw it with you know Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher. Don't through the years. These are the things you remember. These are the things that make Formula One the great sport that it is. But it was a procession. There's no point in saying anything otherwise. From once, I think you know, even before Qatar and before he was about to be crowned, and as you said, like losing only one race. I think my worry is on the flip side of that coin. That's going to drive them, pardon the pun, even you know, drive them on even further because they mm. would, I know Adrian Newey and I know Red Bull and, and the leaders of Red Bull would love to turn around and say, we are the all conquering one every race, come get us, you know, just to drive Toto Wolf even more mad. Um, do you see uh, who's the most likely to challenge them even at this early stage? And I know we haven't even gone through a winter testing. I know we haven't been into a wind tunnel, but who do you hope, I suppose, is, is the better question here, Sarah, to challenge them next year? I think certainly if McLaren can continue the development form that they showed this year as far as their upgrades really leapfrogging them massively in performance I think if we could see a jump like that again from them during the winter testing I think that would be very promising I'm not particularly encouraged by Mercedes I think they got to P2 in the constructors by pure consistency I don't think over a season you would actually say that they did well you know, that they did better than Ferrari, but that is how it turned out in the points, very close in the end, but still. Ferrari, who knows? I mean, they could show up and they could exactly. be fantastic or they could show up and they could be... It's They're really an enigma, but I think probably those three teams... Alpine have obviously got a big boost of investment from their celebrity, um, the celebrity cash that's rolled in this year, but I do think they have a lot of... a lot a long way to go with that pairing... So I think it's probably between those three, Ferrari, Mercedes and McLaren. And I would say McLaren are possibly even at the front of that pack as far as being a threat. Yes, I think their driver combination right now is probably the most likely to, to, to do that as well. They mm-hmm. certainly, the tech, technology isn't just there yet. They need the upgrades, but I think they certainly have the young drivers. Piastri and certainly um, George Russell, not George Russell, but... Um, Lando Norris, Lando yeah. Norris, that I think a bit more consistency from the two of those. And I think they should be challenging near the top. We talked briefly there about Ferrari and what an up and down season they've had. Um, mathematics came into it with Charles Leclerc mm-hmm. on the to clinch second place in that final corner of the Grand Prix. Can you explain, please? Yeah, he was. It was very funny that these drivers, you know, they're going around at a few hundred kilometers per hour, and they're still coming over the team radio saying. Well, if I slow down by this many seconds and I can let this person pass and then the points might be enough. It was incredible, really, to be honest, to to hear that. And you do from from the particularly intelligent drivers, you do hear that every so often. And they've thought about it before the race and, and they can even adapt based on what's happened in the race. And unfortunately for Ferrari, it wasn't enough for them to to get second place in the constructors, like I was saying earlier, but you know, they've still had the only non-Red Bull win. They've still had a, a solid number of podiums. I think what's possibly lacking for them, as we said, is just that level of consistency. And I mean, even science's practice crash, that put them in a really tough spot because essentially they were, you know, he didn't qualify particularly well then either. So they were basically only relying on Charles Leclerc for for that really heavy points haul. They need They need it to be better. They just need it all around to be better. And we've said many times that, you know, Formula One is all the better for a well-performing mm. Ferrari team. And I think that's that will always be true. So 
fingers crossed we're going to see more from them next year. I would certainly hope so. Yeah, that's a good summation of it because it, remember back to the chats we had about the the pit crew issues, the pit stops, oh, oh yeah. the things that went wrong. I mean, you saw it this weekend, McLaren got the best record for pit stops and in one pit stop they fell behind to George Russell. Now, you never saw that all season, but with, with Ferrari, I don't think they're that far away. I really don't know. If yeah. I put if I put a, a George Russell in that Ferrari, if I put uh, a Lando Norris in that Ferrari, would they be even closer? I believe they would. And maybe I'm being harsh on the two drivers at Clarence Science because they really have battled all year, but they shouldn't have been battling their own team was half mm. the thing. Look at all the errors and the mishaps earlier in the season. Three points in the end might not seem like a lot to an awful lot of people, but finishing second, if they had done so and beaten Mercedes second place, would have been the boost, I think, that might have pushed them on even further in the close season. Obviously, we have to wait and see. But would you stick with these two drivers? drivers right now if their contracts were up or would you keep them again next year I would keep them I think ironically the fact that they didn't get that second place in the constructors means that although Mercedes will gain more financially Ferrari will get more wind tunnel time and I think that there's a there's a lot to be said for that you know it's 10 million dollars versus a bigger amount of time in the wind tunnel you could argue all day long about which of those is is the preferred option I think there's more to come from both of those drivers and I think that they have figured out a good flow between them. I think there's just there's just something missing mm. at Ferrari. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's missing this year. It's like they're inching ever closer, but they're just not there yet. So I think we'll have to see if they keep inching next year or if they're able to push on and make that leap to, you know, the team that we've seen them be in the past and that we all want to to see them be again in the future. 100%, 100%. And I think the thing that's missing is consistency. If they got a couple of podiums, one after the other, that brings the whole, the pit crew, it brings the technolo- technology, it brings everybody together, yeah. hitting that consistency, getting second and third every couple of races because of mishaps is what upset them. And I think they are very, very close. They're going to have their work cut out because we know, we know Mercedes are coming back all guns blazing and McLaren, as you've rightly mentioned, and Alpine with the investments. So lots to talk about in the, in the off season as always. Uh, to finish, we look further down the track and down the grid because a name we don't normally mention quite often, but to be fair to him, Yuki Tsunoda is somebody you wanted to highlight um, this past weekend and his battle with Ricardio. Yeah, I just think it's worth mentioning Yuki because despite all the chaos on the other side of that Alpha Terry garage pretty much all year and by far the more positive coverage that's been afforded to Daniel Ricardo in particular, he actually outperformed Ricardo in mm. the end um, while very much flying under the radar. And I think he, I don't see him ever progressing to, you know, a full-time seat in the Red Bull team. I think he would have to go outside the Red Bull family to get a, a better seat. But I do think it's worth mentioning him because he he's just been sort of disregarded by a lot mm. of people, I think, and, you know, wasn't given much of a chance, particularly when Ricardo came back. But I think he he's acquitted himself well and he's got another year. So I hope that he he's able to, you know, set his stall out a bit more because if he does need to move, he's going to have to convince another team that it's worth taking a bet on him. So I think there's there's definitely more to come from him next year. Yeah, again, good summation of a, of a driver that we, we poked fun at because, you know, he crashed more yeah. than he drove at the start of the season <laughs> and he had a lot of money behind him and that's why he's there. Um, but, you know, if he's, if he's under pressure and he performed under pressure and he did drive quite solidly, which is the thing that 
mm. at Abu Dhabi. That's the thing. I kept seeing him doing, you know, not making mistakes, being sensible into the corners, got out of the way when he needed to. There was one rear the end where um, Lewis Hamilton nearly upended him right on the, on the finish line at one stage. But he, you know, he, you're right. He did outperform his, his teammate. He has done enough to give, put enough of a, a thought process into the, the decision makers about what happens next. And, you know, I, again, with a bit more investment, who knows what that team could achieve. But um, certainly Yuki Sonoda, good to be talking positively about him at the end of the season. Now, they, we're going to just do the final recap of, of the results, obviously, from Abu Dhabi uh, at the Yas Marina Circuit. Max Verstappen home with 26 points uh, for Red Bull. Charles Leclerc battling to second. George Russell, a good third place for him. Sergio Perez came up through the field and finished fourth eventually, but he had a five-second penalty at one stage for coming together with Landon Norris, who was fifth. And the final Formula 1 standings, Red Bull way out in front, 860 points. And then second, Mercedes in 409, Ferrari 406, and then back to McLaren 302. And Aston Martin in fifth on 200. 180 real positive uh, result for them. The the season is over, sir, but we're not going to be we're not finished just quite yet talking about it. We're going to give you a review and your highs and lows from the past season to come up in the weeks ahead in the final number of podcasts. But in between when you're not presenting the big red bench, what can we expect from you across your social media channels? Yeah, so I'm always chatting about sport on my Twitter, whether it be Formula One or otherwise. So you can follow me at MacTweets underscore and you can find Formula One specifically on my YouTube channel if you just search Sarah McKenzie F1. Excellent stuff. Talk to you soon, Sarah. Thanks for that. Thank you. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Monster Women's Hockey. PRO Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest rounds of the Munster women's hockey season. Graham provides results and scores from all the recent women's EY1 and women's Munster Division 1 matches. And we also take a look ahead to this weekend's Munster women's hockey fixtures. Now, another action pack week of women's EY1 and Munster Women's Division 1 hockey is in the books. There's only one man to talk to, and that is Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball, who joins us once again here on the Big Red Bench. Graham, how are you? Great, Jar, and yourself? Good, good, good. We thought things were going to quieten down coming up to Christmas. How wrong we were. There's uh, something on everywhere, and in the hockey world, there's a lot going on. We're going to start with some uh, interesting results from Women's EY1 and the Munster Women's Division 1 midweek games from last week. Yeah, so so we'll, we'll start with maybe some of the midweek games in, in Women's Division 1. So so last week on Thursday, um uh, Harlequins continued their, their, their rich vein of form, I suppose, and beat Ashton, uh, 6-1. Uh, so a convincing, uh, victory there for Harlequins. Um, they followed that up at the weekend, actually, with a, with a further convincing 11-0 win over, over Blackrock. Um, and, uh, on Sunday as well, they, they played another match. So, uh, they've had they've plenty of miles in the legs, uh, and, and they beat Waterford 3-0. Three, three so, they, they, they've had a, a, you know, three games there in, in the space of four days and, and come out, come out trumps and all of them with, with plenty of goals to, to, to boot, I suppose. Yeah. And one thing, um, just, just on that, Graham, sorry to interrupt you. One thing yeah. on that from the goal scorers, the spread of goal scorers, they're not relying on any one person. I know they've got a couple of top scorers, but it's a good sign of a team like that when they're able to spread the scores over that many games in such a short period of time as well. Yeah, it, it is across the board that they're getting goals. Um, not only, I suppose, their, their set pieces, but also, I suppose, um, you know, their, their, their strikers seem to be, um, getting a couple, well, particularly, I suppose, some of the younger players as well coming, uh, into, into form as well and probably, you know, acclimat, acclimatizing themselves to the, to the first team hockey, um, you know, very well by the looks of it. So. Yeah, they're, 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 I suppose they're, they're, they're the form team, um, at the moment, except for maybe UCC. Mm. Um, so we'll be interested to see how, how, how they continue, I suppose, into EY2 when it starts after Christmas. 
Yes, and you mentioned UCC because despite those fantastic victories for Cork Harlequins, they still remain just the three points behind UCC. The only team to beat them this year, and that's because UCC had a good win themselves this past Saturday. Yeah, so a, a good solid win for UCC over over Bandon three uh, nil. Nikki Barry continuing her good goals going for him, and Abby O'Mahony as well getting on the score sheet there. Uh, so a comfortable three nil victory for UCC over Bandon. Uh, Waterford um, and, and Ashton was a very close affair. Ashton coming out three two winners over Waterford in the end, um, and 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 likewise um, Church of Ireland travelled to Crescent and won three two. So another another close affair. So. The table is the table is fairly stacked. Um, I suppose, with maybe the exception of the top two, who, who have that bit of a, I suppose, a gap at the top now uh, that seems to be widening all the time. But, but from third place down to eighth, there's not much in it. There certainly isn't. And the good news, I suppose, for uh, the women women's Munster Division One Hockey League is that UCC and Cork Harlequins have played ten games each. But Church of Ireland, Ashton, Black Rock, and Crescent each have a game or two in hand. But as you said, it is very tight. Eleven points for Church of Ireland in third, seven points for Crescent uh, down in sixth. While Water for and Bannon will be hoping to finish the second half or finish out this part of their season on a high as much as they possibly can but it's a good sign I suppose Graham like we, we've got a title race which is what we expected and what we wanted and clearly that next match between Harlequins and UCC is going to be something else but the rest of these teams are jockeying for position and any run of form you look at the results as you said just the past weekend as you've been outlining 3-2 in, in those other two mid-table games there's nothing in it Yeah they're, they're, they're very close matches um, certainly all the focus now for for Harlequins and, and UCC will certainly turn to that game. Um, you know, the middle of December when when they face each other again, and you know, effectively that could be a could be the title decider. Um, as, as I suppose you know, teams kind of run out of games to play as well. And as I said, UCC and Harlequins in particular will 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 shift focus to to EY two now after Christmas. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be a, a humdinger of a game in the lead up to Christmas. So uh, looking forward to that one. Yes, I think a lot of people are, even outside the, those two particular camps, a lot riding on that result, as we said, as we head uh, towards uh, the, the the end of Christmas and on to EY2, obviously, in, in the new year. Um, away from Munster Women's Division 1 in EY1, um, another tough, uh, another high-scoring game involving Catholic Institute, but unfortunately, Graham, they came out the wrong side of it. Yeah, so so again, Institute, you know, going really close again. Another another trip to Dublin last weekend. Uh, unfortunately, uh, losing three two to to UCD, who are who I suppose just behind them in the table. But you know, again, I suppose that this this league is just it, it, it's so close this year. Mm. Um, Institute now back to back to fourth position. Um, but you know, they have a they have a good fixture this weekend. I think they're playing Corinthians, who 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 sit bottom. Now they'll take nothing for for granted. Um, Corinthians are a good side who got promoted last year, but um, it you know it, it should be one of those games now, Jared, that they that certainly look to target and cert- certainly look to take three points from and you know reestablish um their, their their place in the top three if they can on the back of it. But uh, look, it's it's an incredibly tight league, I think. Um, and and Institute have done it remarkably well so far. Um, and and particularly given that they're probably missing you know their best player in in Roisin Upton at the moment, who is currently. Currently playing uh, hockey um, abroad in in Australia, uh, so look, I think they're doing really well this year. Um, and if Roisin Upton comes back into the fold after Christmas, they'll be even better shape again. 
They certainly will. And after 10 rounds of games in the EY1, Loretto are out on top as expected on 30 points. Railway Union just behind them on 20, well, just a bit behind them on 22. But that battle for the remaining top four, Pembroke Wanderers of 17. If you'd offered Catholic Institute 16 points at this stage of the season without their best player, Graham, they'd have snapped your hand off, I'd imagine. And they're in, they're in, they're in the mix because UCD, All Alex, Monkstown, Ulster Elks are all within shouting distance. But the fact that they're in the mix, how much confidence do you think they'll take from that considering, as we mentioned, their best player isn't there yet? Yeah, huge confidence, and and I think after it, it, is it this weekend there might be a bit of a break in 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 games for them, so they'll get time to maybe take some stock and and um, I suppose there'll, there'll be a bit of a break for the Christmas period, and then the the Irish women senior team are, are are will have their qualifier in January, so the the EY leagues won't actually kick back in probably till till, till early February. Um, so look, it, you know, if they can go into the break in in the top three, top four positions. That's a that's a brilliant start to the season for Institute. So so hopefully they can they can get that victory on the road to uh, Corinthians this weekend and, and secure that. Yeah, as you said, and as you, you brilliantly outlined, their disappointment using losing out three two, as we said uh, in in this past weekend to UCD, but still in the mix, still hanging in there in fourth place, and a good one more positive result than any other team that drops points. They're certainly in the mix with that four top four finish in what is a very very competitive EY1 league this year there are some matches coming up this weekend you've mentioned Catholic Institute are playing Corinthians Graham but we've also got some interesting matchups in Munster Division 1 yeah so Munster Division 1 um, Ashton host Black Rock which is a nice mm. local rivalry uh, Bandon host Waterford which has been a very close uh, affair over the last couple of years and both teams will be really vying for, for the points there at, at, at the bottom half of the table um, Harlequins host Crescent um, and UCC versus Church of Ireland is always a always a very interesting uh, fixture. So um, I'm sure there'll be a couple of clubs, and namely Harlequins, uh, looking at that fixture and hoping hoping that the, there's a banana skin there for, um, for for UCC. So so yeah, that'll be a real uh, real real great game to see if if you can get to it. Yes, yes, lots of really, really good games in Munster Division 1 against teams in and around each other this particular weekend as well. And as always, across the Munster Hockey social media accounts, you'll find details of the fixtures, where they're on and what time they start um, on right, uh, across, as we said, on Instagram, especially and in the various social media accounts. We finish this week, as we always do, uh, Graham, with a look at the uh, top goal scorers charts. And what's very interesting about this week's charts is that there is now three Carlicons players occupying first, second and third. And then it's the next four spots are all UCC players. So that's following form from the Munster Division 1 as you would expect just outside those players though we have a lot of good players there's a lot of players as well who are going quite well uh, five goals uh, Joy Sampson for Harlequins Zara Lowry for UCC Emily O'Leary for Ashton Olivia Roycroft for Bandon and then on six goals we've got Naomi Carroll for Catholic Institute and Jane Murphy from UCC and then Michaela Sanderson on seven Abby O'Mahony on eight and Nikki Barry also on eight from UCC and then the top three all Harlequins players Yvonne O'Byrne has moved up with nine she's up in the third Michelle Barry is second out on 10 just two behind the outright leader and still at the top it's like top of the pops the way I'm talking Beth Ann O'Farrell for Harlequins on 12 points that reflects the dominance of those two teams in the in the particular divisions but I would imagine there's quite a bit of banter in those dressing rooms about who's going to finish at the very top Graham no no, no doubt about it um, they, they, they definitely look at these goal scoring charts because I get the odd reminder if, uh, <laughs> if there's a if there's a number out, out of skew so <laughs> your uh, certainly it, it, they're definitely uh, keeping a close eye on it. Um, look, Harlequins and CI definitely, the, you know, the, the standout teams at the moment. They have played a couple of games ab- above mm. the other teams as well. So look, there's there's obviously um, a couple of games in hand for the other teams there to to maybe catch up in the goal scoring charts. But um, 
certainly with some of those score lines, um, it, it's no shock to see um, Harlequins and, and, and UCC players right up there at the top. It certainly is, and we look forward to seeing how all that pans out before the end of the season. We've got two fantastic leagues that are very tight from top to bottom. We've also got goal-scoring charts that look like they're going to change a bit more between now and in the end of the Munster Women's Hockey and EY1 and EY2 season. But we'll, uh, we'll keep tabs of it here on Cork's Big Red Bench, as always, with Munster Piro Hockey, Graham Catchpole. Once again, Graham, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Millinger. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Cork Short FM's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review all the latest women's AIL results and the latest Munster Women's Adult Leagues and Cups, plus a huge amount of Munster youth results that took place across the province over the past week. We also have an update on yet another successful set of Munster mini splitses. Now it's that time of the weekend on Cork Short FM's Big Red Bench where we talk all things Munster Women's Rugby. Joined now on the line by our resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan to take us through all the latest action throughout the province. Wendy, how are you? I'm great, sir. How are you keeping? Good, good. Getting near Christmas, but things are not slowing down amazingly when it comes to Munster Women's Rugby because we have a lot to talk about. But we start, unfortunately, with disappointing news in the Junior Cup semi-final for UL. Yeah, I mean, I'm delighted they got through to the semi-finals. Um, they were playing away to, to Tume. Uh, I suppose we knew that it was going to be a big ass. Tume are a really strong to- uh, team. They defeated Skibbereen 45-7 earlier on. But the interesting thing about this team is that they started together eight years ago at under 13 and they've been together playing through. So, um, you know, they've really aspirations to do well. Um, so unfortunately, 38-12. Um, was a score there probably UL was missing a few players probably called up to their first team you know what I mean so there's mm. you know different things permutations there when it comes to all of this and at the other side just so the people know Barn Hall defeated Tullamore um, so that would be the final now Toome um, versus Barn Hall there in that competition but look great to get to the semi-final great experience for that Junior Cup team and look we know we'll have teams in that next season two teams so mm. hopefully it'll you know drive on the other teams and Munster to, to earn their place to play in that tournament. Yeah, certainly very open tournament since the very start, as you mentioned, Skibreen there in the first round. A fair play to you, well, for getting that far. Um, obviously, disappointment not getting over the hurdle. But this is the kind of thing they're going to have to deal with. That you've spoken about to us before, Wendy, is that the, the way the UL pathway works, you know, the senior team is going to be calling on players for various reasons in the new year. The, the junior players, any experience they get now, they need that experience because they need, they need to be ready to stand up because they're going to get their chance at senior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we spoke about it last week with the new, you know, Challenge Cup coming in. There's going to be two teams. So look, you know, that those fringe players, as I call them, they're going to get their opportunities to play up. You know, it's going to take, I suppose, a little uh, transition period, you know, to, to come up to scratch, to come up to that different level of playing, the speed of playing and the expectations around that. But look, it's positive for rugby as a whole. It certainly is. Disappointing for you, well, uh, juniors losing out there in the semi-final to tune, but well done in getting that far, as we said. Now we turn our attention to clubs with a second chance in Munster following uh, previous competition exits in the Women's Open Bowl. Wendy, we've got some result there. Yeah, so Perlis face Mallow, uh, a cracker of a match, only two points separating the two uh, the two teams. Lots of tries. Mallow come on, out on top, 24-22, um, the score there. But look, um, two, you know what I mean, we call them emerging teams as, as such. You know what I mean? They're, I suppose Perlis going through a little bit of a transition period. Um, you know, I mean, much stronger probably in the last couple of years. A lot of new players, new coaches coming through there. But a cracker of a match, lots of tries and well done to Mallow. 
Yes, and a really close game as well, and a lot of the games at this level. Two big areas there as well to draw players from as time goes on. And all you're saying they're going through transition with Turtles, but it's good that they have not just players from Turtles. Obviously, they can draw players from outside, but the likes of Mallow and Turtles, their names keep cropping up week after week when you're mentioning results, Wendy. So, uh, disappointment, yes, for Turtles, but a great result for Mallow and a good boost as well. Uh, maybe bringing a trophy home of any kind of sort this year would be a big boost for that particular club. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've worked really hard in the last two years to develop that, um, that adult team. Um, and then the youth structure, you know, players, uh, coming through from the under 18s, um, upwards. So, um, yeah, it'll be wonderful for them. It certainly will. Now we turn our attention once again to the Munster Utes. And again, this is a province, not a county. So there's a hell of a lot going on. And we appreciate the fact that you can take a certain amount of the results and give us some information, Wendy. What can you tell us from this past weekend? Yeah, I suppose essentially this is a, a weekend off, so a catch-up weekend for matches, you know what I mean, that might have missed up and missed out because of, you know, pitch uh, availability. or It's a good idea, actually, to have that, yeah. yeah. So we do. Yeah, so we do have those uh, gap weekends for these. So at under 16s, Water Park faced uh, Ballincollig and uh, they came out on top. 31-19 was the final score there. Clonakilty, your your local neighbours, right? They defeated Kenturk 35-5. So that's the under 16 uh, results caught up on. And at under 14, huge scoring going on between the Shannon Ballon and Kalilu. They'd be close there. So that'd be a right rival match. 35 for Shannon, 42 for Ballon and Kalilu. Right, oh, well, the ref must have been up and down the pitch for the for the duration of that match. He'll be finding fit afterwards. Um, Cove had a good win over Ballinclough at under 14. 34-14 was the final score there, and uh, another win for Clonakilty there over their neighbours, uh, Dunmanway Bantry. 13-0 was the final score there. So lots of tries being scored, which is great. Yes, and as we always like to hear the different clubs, not just from Cork, but all over the different provinces as well, getting involved at underage. It is absolutely booming. Nice to have that catch-up weekend, as I said to you earlier on. Really good idea, considering the bad weather and any matches that are missed out on. And every weekend from here on, Christmas and after and into the new year, is going to be busy as usual. We will keep up to date with it as best we can here on the Big Red Bench with Wendy Keane every week on our Monster Women's Rugby segment. But we finish this week's segment with one of my favourite subjects, as you well know, Wendy, and that is the minis and the blitzes. And I must commend the Monster Minis blitzes the Instagram uh, I think there's a social media feed out there and some of the faces and action that people can come across I would urge people to go out and find it and follow it because it's fantastic when you see all the happy faces muddy faces but happy faces uh, at this time of the year Yeah I mean two tournaments running yesterday as we mentioned previously you know we spoke about numbers being over 200 mm. which is just too much for the clubs really to all run on one day so we split them north and south so it was the turn of Waterpark and Feathered so we'll talk about water park this week and we'll talk about feathered next week. We'll split them that way. So we'll do the south first. So at the under 10s, there was water park, Dungarvan, Clonakilty and Middleton and Yall amalgamated um, at that, that age grade. And that under 12s, we had water park, Cove, Middleton, Clonakilty and Yall. So I have to congratulate water park on the way they organised this um tournament and at the same time they had their under 16s um, playing. So they wanted it to be like a festival if you like, of, of rugby um, for, for the girls. And I think we had about 90 in attendance on Sunday in uh, Waterpark alone. That doesn't even include feathers um, in those two age grades and lots of matches. Um, four pitches being used and um, really well organised. Everybody well in advance had the times of their kickoffs, everything, you know, what pitch they were on. Um, I'm part of that Midi's WhatsApp group. So um, and straight away they were commended on how well it was organised. But you're right, seeing those young girls come out. And we have to say that the girls play in 
the girls' blitzes, but they can also play in, you know, the mixed blitzes as well. So they're getting lots of rugby um, from their clubs. But a lovely array of clubs covered there from one side of the province to the other. Exactly what I was about to say to you again, and that's the thing about the Blitzes. These are players coming up against people, that girls that they might not have ever got a chance to have met, let alone through a sporting, uh, any kind of sporting venture. And the mini Blitzes go on for how long, Wendy? We're in, we're coming to December now. Do you carry them into the new year? Oh yeah, we do six Blitzes throughout the year, so we're only on number two. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we've lots, lots of Blitzes ones, but the dates are set. They're there in the diaries. Hmm. Um, so the next one now will be, um, after Christmas. Um, when we start our next one, so the weather getting better, just give clubs the time to, I suppose, get the girls playing together and a little bit more experience. Um, so they get they get more blitzes after Christmas, and um, plus the Aviva Blitz, etc., which we'll we'll talk about another day. Oh I suppose that we talk about the challenges of girls' sport. Mm. Our challenge now is keeping these under tens, under twelves playing rugby, mm. and that's the challenge that we face across all provinces. Mm. Um, and we'll do our best to keep them involved. Well, it sounds like things are certainly going in the right direction when you have those kind of numbers at each of those uh, mini blitzes that you had and something to look forward to again in January and lots more to talk about in between as well. Well done to everybody that took part in those mini blitzes and I do again tell people to go and take a look at the Monster Minis uh, Instagram feed because it is quite entertaining and it put a smile on your face. Um, that's it for another action-packed roundup of Monster Women's Rugby this week. We'll be back again next week with even more details and even more matches and action to talk about with Wendy Keane here in the Big Red Bench. But for now, Wendy, thanks for joining us. Thanks a million, Jerry. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.